Welcome to the Gate Alliance Church. We're so glad you could join us for this week's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged in our church, check us out online at thegatechurch.ca. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's podcast. My, uh, my grandfather was a preacher uh, back in the 40s and 50s and on. And before that, he was a missionary in China. And he left me a, quite a resource of his sermon notes and little binders when he, when he died. And I found in one of his sermon notes a Chinese proverb that, he, that you might be familiar, familiar with. It says, the journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. And, you know, a thousand-mile journey is quite an accomplishment, but as, as significant as it might be, it will always begin with humbly with one single step. You ever thought about a big journey you took? Um, I, I, I was trying to think of one that I took. I think the most significant journey I took was not maybe the longest, but... Uh, was when I was in Winnipeg going to school the year before I graduated. I needed to come back home to uh, Own Sound here in Ontario to do an internship for about four months at a church. And being a student in Winnipeg, we had no money. I had no money, so I had to sell one of my guitars <laughs> to get home, to drive home, and I didn't have enough money for hotels or food, so I drove, I got a Tupperware containers of sandwiches made on the, the, the seat beside me. And didn't stop. I drove 24 hours straight through. When I was young, I could do that. Through and made it home. And the thing that I always remember is that was such a big journey. But it started simply just preparing, turning on the car. And you got to do that. Take one step to get to the end. And it's true, you don't get anywhere unless you start a journey with one step. Every significant and momental, well, um, monumental journey begins with just that. And that's true for churches. You know, I listen to pastors and study church history, and, and it's, you often discover, and it's said that every large successful church did not begin that way. Rather began, as all churches do, smaller, moving forward. And we tend to celebrate, don't we, the big and the grand and the glorious, but we need to give credit and commendation to those who take, who have the faith to take the single step when it wasn't easy, when they didn't, weren't, the end wasn't there, and they're willing to step out in faith. And that's true for the grandest journey of them all for us. The Bible tells us Jesus is preparing a place in heaven for those who would trust and follow him to live forever. And he says, I'll come and take you. So when we breathe our last, he's there, ready to take you to this eternal home. Jesus says, you know, that uh, this is possible, but you have to need to take this step. I went to the cross, um, and I exchanged my righteousness for your sin. Jesus was the Son of God without sin. He was righteous. None of us are. We all, with, with sin, my four-year-old grandson is memorizing scripture, and he shared with us yesterday, you know, for all have fallen short, the glory of God, you know, Romans 3.23, all have sinned. Um, and it's true. And Jesus said, I'll tell you, there's this, I'll, what I'll do for you 
is because sin separates you from that home. Sin separates you from God and eternity and everything that you want. I will make an exchange. That's what he's doing on the cross. I have no sin, and I'll take your sin upon my life, and I'll pay for it. It has to be paid for. In exchange, I'll give you my righteousness. That is a deal, but it always begins. That's with a single step of trust and faith if we're going to end that one day with him in glory in heaven. But, but today we're going to learn um, the Christian life is not to be done, these singles, these steps, by ourselves. I, I was going to talk about attitude, but, and, I, and it, it creeps in there, but I think a better title would be Four Rebuilding Leadership Principles that are found in a Nehemiah. And I love Nehemiah because it's just full of these leadership tips about life and about church. So about 70 years before Nehemiah went to build, rebuild the city, the walls of Jerusalem, some Jewish people had already returned to, to start this process. I think about, I remember 70 years or so before Nehemiah. And one of these men, his name was Zerubbabel. Anybody know Zerubbabel? And uh, Zerubbabel began to build the temple. That was his goal. And he would lay a foundation, the grand temple of Solomon that was destroyed. And the new temple would be much smaller. It would be less grand. And that was a huge disappointment to some of the old timers who remember the former temple. In fact, we read this in Ezra. It says, but many of the older priests, Levites, and other leaders who had seen the first temple wept aloud when they saw the new temple's foundation. Like, no, this is nothing compared to what we used to have. So when Zerubbabel laid out the foundation, which was simple and much less grand, the old religious leaders could remember the, who remember the glory of the former temple were disappointed. And this is when God highlighted something. I brought it with me today. Actually, this is the actual one they used back then. You know, anybody know what that is? All right, so some of you. And what's the purpose of the plumb line? Make plums? <laughs> That's what I would think. That's how much building I know. Yeah, good for you. So it, 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 it helps you determine, because of the gravity, to make sure that a wall is straight. Because if it's off, then the rest of the place is going to be off. So the builder will take, that's the first step in making sure that everything is plumb. Now, Pastor Dave gave me this plumb line, and it says rebuilders on it. Why would he give me a plumb line with the word rebuilders on it? Well, setting out to build this temple would have been one of those thousand-mile journeys, a massive task. <clears throat> and it was very much a very small step when to take a plumb line and say, okay, this is where we're going to start. There's no walls, there's nothing. You can't see anything except this plumb line. And there were some who were, not, who were very discouraged, not very encouraging to Zuberl when he brought out this plumb line and started saying, okay, we're going to build the church again, and he held this thing. And they were not, um, folk, what, Marie, what Manu read, weren't praiseworthy, weren't focusing what was good, uh, but rather the opposite. Maybe they wanted to begin bigger. Maybe they wanted to begin more grander. Maybe they had ideas that, that were you know, just way out there and it was, it was very hard from the start so simply. And we know it was hard because we read this in Zechariah 4.10. 
The an angel said this, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. So the angel's saying, you know, the, this is a small step. I know you want, you know, the, the thousand mile journey to end and, and be finished. But God, the Lord rejoices when we sees us taking the first simple step of faith. And we forget in God's hand, which might to us seem significant and small right now, can lead to something very significant. We learn this in the book of Nehemiah. What began as a, a just really a message, a visit with his brother. Nehemiah's brother comes and visits him in Persia. And, and Nehemiah says, how are things going back there in Jerusalem? And we found out they weren't very good. That was the first step to where Nehemiah would go back, give up his job, give up the security of his home in the palace, in the fortress where he's safe, go to Jerusalem and rebuild that city. And so what we've seen in Nehemiah so far basically is this. Chapter 1, Nehemiah receives a rebuilding vision from God. Chapter 2, Nehemiah shares that rebuilding vision with, with the, the king of Persia and others who were living in Jerusalem and discouraged because nothing was happening. And now in chapter 3, Nehemiah assigns specific tasks to accomplish the rebuilding vision he received from God, which he shared with others, and that's where we are today. Now, some people actually call Nehemiah a very dull, boring chapter. Much like myself. <laughs> because there's a lot of names, and names you can't pronounce, and you're going to hear me butcher some of them today. My wife laughs because she knows. <laughs> she knows I will. And they're doing these, these tasks and these jobs that maybe we wonder, you know, how do they relate to us today? But believe it or not, this seemingly uninterested, interesting chapter contains these four incredible, significant, powerful principles, leadership principles for rebuilding that you can apply, that we can apply in our life today. And what Nehemiah does here in chapter 3 is he sets these clear objectives with specific tasks for the people to follow through on together. There was two miles of walls that was lying in ruin. And that would be a big job today, let alone back then with no machinery. And Nehemiah would do it in 52 days, which I think is incredible. So what Nehemiah did was brilliant. He divided the wall into 40 different sections, and then he delegates people to work on a particular section. So we're going to read about that today. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Nehemiah chapter 3. We'll read some of the verses, and you're going to find out four Rebuilding leadership principles that you can just go, you don't have to listen to and say, oh, that's interesting. You can apply these to your life. So verse 1, Nehemiah 3.1. Then Eliashib, the high priest, and the other priests started to rebuild at the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set up its doors, building a wall as far as the Tower of the Hundred which was dedicated in the Tower of Henanel. Leadership, rebuilding principle number one. It matters to the team when they know it matters to their leaders. Eliashib, the high priest, is the very first worker among so many other workers that's mentioned as the rebuilding work begins. He's a religious leader. 
And he rises up with other religious leaders to work to rebuild the gate entrance, one of the gate entrances of the, the city and the wall around it. And we need to remember, this is why this is important. Leadership is not a position or a title. It's an action and example. You know what scares me? I'll tell you, what scares me is leaders who think, I have this title and this position, therefore people will follow. It's not. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an action. It's an example. Jesus said we are to be servants. And according to uh, the research done by Quantum Workplace, a lack of seniors' leadership buying into a project is the number one obstacle why it does not get completed and become successful. Uh, they discovered the five big, biggest um, impediments to people engaging in, in a project in, in the workplace. Number five, they don't have the right resources. That would matter. I, you want this done, but I don't have the resources to do it. Number four, difficult to measure the ROI or the return on investment. Why am I working on this? I don't see the, the why, the purpose, that, and the return of my work. I don't really want to be engaged in that. Or it's too expensive. Or number four, current strategy is good enough. In other words, they don't really care. It's just, you know, uh, this will do kind of mentality. But the number one reason is lack of senior leadership buy-in. And Nehemiah must have realized this because the first person he mentions as a team contributor is a religious leader named Eliashib. He's out in the front. He's working, leading by example. And if you are a leader in your home, if you're a leader in your, in your workplace or in your community or in your church, others are looking hard at you. They will look at you and follow your example. If you, if you are slow to work, they will also be slow to work. If you're filled with discouragement and doubt, they tend to be discouraged, be filled with discouragement and doubt. If they see you putting Jesus with your resources, taking your time, your talent, treasure, making that a priority, they will make that a priority. I've noticed something as a pastor that the different churches I've pastored that there's always, when I watch young people who step forward and serve gladly, and so they always come from a home where parents stepped forward and served gladly. Now, somebody could have taught me that in school, but I saw that. I see that over and over again. And when parents make uh, the, the body, the church, a priority in their life, gladly, not all the time, but most of the time, definitely kids follow suit. But where the parents go home and talk negatively about the church, I've seen kids. I had kids come to me and say, I don't want to come. Like, it just, it's such a, like, my parents smile here, but then they go home and it's like, Ugh. But when you see us making a priority, we see, they see us forgiving when we're hurt. When they see us giving and serving, that goes a long way. So Eliashib was the first to set out. And the rest of the chapter is filled with names of more than 50 other people who follow his example and do the work. We read that then uh, Eliashib, the high priest, and the other priests started to rebuild at the sheep's gate. So it matters. It matters to the team when they see, not just here, when they see it matters to their leaders. And we find another great rebuilding leadership principle in the very next verse, number two.
I love this one. I really love this one. People from the town of Jericho worked next to them, and beyond them was Zakur, son of Emery. I'll just use that as an example verse. The next leadership rebuilding principle is this, and I'm stealing from Pastor David, I'm stealing from Chick-fil-A, because you know this, is that we are better together. We know uh, Eliashib, the, the, the high priest, and the other priest started to do the work in verse 1. And then verse 2, we read how people from the town of Jericho worked next to them. And there's this recurring phrase in chapter 3 that comes up over and over again to help us understand uh, the importance of group and accomplishment, how, why they accomplished in 52 days what was not being accomplished in dozens of years before that. Because 21 times in just 32 verses in this scripture, we read this phrase, next to him, or next to them. One reason Nehemiah succeeded in rebuilding Jerusalem was because he broke down you know, the job, the manageable tasks among different people, and then he had these people working alongside next to other people. Nehemiah wanted the people to understand the importance of team, of doing this together, that we're better together. He wanted them to know, if you get tired and discouraged, and you will, just look to your left, look to your right. You'll see people working next to you. You realize you're not alone in this endeavor. You're part of a team who's working and seeking to accomplish this goal together. See, God never, ever meant for you to go through life alone. Right from the beginning of Genesis, he looked at man and says, not good that he is alone, so he brought Eve into his life. And he created families, and he created church bodies. Every believer and follower of Jesus plays a very important role on the team, our team, the gate church, every church, the church. And to help us understand the truth of this and uh, the, uh, this principle, God compares, he likes to compare our physical body to that of the church body. You know that, right? We see that many times. We read this in God's word. He starts off saying this, but our bodies have many parts and God has put each part just where he wants it. So making the analogy, the, the body compared to the church body, you need to know that you're not here by accident. God has a purpose for you in this body, in this kingdom. And don't let the enemy try to tell you that you're not important, you have nothing to offer, that you're, you're, you're just, I mean, you have no value. Listen to what the rest of the verse says. Remember, it's talk about the body connecting it to the church body. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem the weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. Each part of the team, my friends, are valued and are needed. We're working together to accomplish the same goal. Now, some of us here are old enough to remember uh, Wayne Gretzky when he played for the Edmonton Oilers. And they won, I think he won four Stanley Cups with him. And Gretzky's referred to, do you remember his nickname? The Great One. But he needed a team to be great. You remember he had Yeri Curry passing him the puck, setting him up to score so many times. Or Gretzky had that big enforcer named David Saminko 
He was his on-ice bodyguard. In fact, if memory serves me correctly, Wayne Gretzky bought him a Trans Am just for that, doing that job so well. He had Annette Grant Fuhrer. Remember Grant Fuhrer? And in 2017, he was named one of the 100 greatest NHL players in history. Gretzky would not have been able to be so successful, have been so successful, if he didn't have his fellow players next to him. You put him out in the ice by himself, he's not going to win that cup. Put him in the right team. All of them win together. That's the picture of the church. That's the picture Nehemiah is trying to show here in chapter 3. Rick Warren says, You will not make all the changes you need to make, want to make, you love to make, plan to make, or dream to make by yourself. If you could, you would, but you can't, so you won't. I remember reading that last line. Oh, it might be eight or nine years ago. That stuck to me. If, if there's changes you want to make in your life or you dream about, and if you could do it by yourself, you would have done it by now. But you haven't because you can't. You can't do it on your own. You need others. That's true for overcoming addictions, for growing in faith. In other words, we need each other to change what needs to be changed, to grow in a relationship with God, to encourage and to support. God never meant, didn't design us. He created the church because we are not to do this alone by yourself. Success happens when you work alongside others, working together as a body and a team, which inspires other people. I think that, that's why Nehemiah had them working next to each other. And that's true in the church. You don't have, you don't have to have all the great abilities to make an impact for what God is wanting to do here in this world, through our, even through this church. The most important ability in the work of the Lord is availability. And here's the thing. All of us can do that. I'm available. We all have the same amount of time. Some of us maybe have one talent or two talents or three talents, as Scripture describes. But the one with few gifts and little talent who has the passion and the drive to see God's work done will always accomplish more, far more than the gifted talent person who doesn't have the passion and drive to do the work. I'm going I'm to say that again because I want to hear some amens after that. The one, I'm going to read this, with the one with a few gifts and little talent who has passion to drive to see God's work done will accomplish far more than the gifted and talented person who doesn't have the passion and drive to do the work, the Lord's work. Yeah. That's true. That's true. I would rather have limited talent to people who are available than hugely talented people who are not available. Just think of when Jesus called his disciples. He called ordinary men. That's a shock to everybody. Fishermen. Hated tax collectors. As a, a revolutionary. A zealot. And you know, just before, when after Jesus went back to heaven and the disciples were up ministering, it was Peter and Jonathan who healed the man at the temple and, and they were brought into the religious council to, to be questioned. And they're listening to Peter and John, these, these, these common Everyday men speak, and it says in Acts 4, 13, the members of the council were amazed and saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men. 
with no special training in the scripture. But God, you can't use me. I have no special training in the scripture. You can't use me because I, oh, I, you know, I'm not very talented. What God needs is what all of us have is this. I'm available to be part of what you're doing today. I'm available. Uh, Viggo Olson was a missionary who helped tens of thousands of um, houses in war, ravage, Bangladesh, Bangladesh, Bang. Say it loud for me, hon. Bangladesh. See, just testing. Back in 1972. And he says he, de- he derived inspiration from this chapter, which a lot of people think is ah, kind of hum-hum. He said, a chapter ordinarily considered to be one of the least interesting in the Bible. He said, I was struck that no expert builders were listed in the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. There were priests or ministers. There were ministers' helpers. There was goldsmiths, perfume makers. What is a perfume maker going to do in building a wall? Make it smell nice, I guess. And women, but no expert builders or carpenters were named. None of them were experts. None of them could say, I have the gifting, the talents to do this. But they were all available. Bob Goff was right when he said, God often uses the least qualified, most available people to get things done. So back to Nehemiah. 42 groups of people walk different walks of life, making themselves available to build this two miles of broken wall around Jerusalem. And to see how the goal, the building of the wall, what they can see, it's worth it. It's going to bring security to our city. It's going to show our enemies that God is with us. He's blessing us. And we believe here at the gate, um, the same is true, that the eternal souls of men and women and children are worth working for. And we, we believe they're worth it. We're not just here because, oh, on Sundays we go to church and, it's like, it's, no, we, we are in a mission, a rebuilding. We're moving forward. We're sensing that God is doing a new thing. And we want to say, God, I'm available. I don't have much, but I have this. I'm available. Because the souls of men and women and children are worth it. <clears throat> if we're going to move forward and accomplish the God as God's calling us to accomplish, it will take all because we're better together. You know, and we know the story. I mentioned it. I know Pastor Dave mentioned it in a sermon once that, that when geese fly in formation, this astounds me. They can fly 72% further than if a goose was flying on their own. If they're in formation flying, they can fly 72% further because the flap of their wings uh, creates a lift for the birds to follow, making it easier for the whole flock to fly. They say even they're honking, they're encouraging. Let's go. Let's do this. You got this, brother goose. They're just better together. And when we do what Manu read, if we, if we focus on the good, we're, we focus on the praiseworthy, we focus on the pure, we make those decisions and we bring everything to, like, we, it, it can, we are better together. In the New Testament, we find the phrase one another 58 times. And the Bible says, love one another, help one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens, and, and so on. 
That's what team does. We need others. You know, in Ecclesiastes, it talks about this and says two can accomplish more than twice as much as one, which is true. Do you know that? I learned once, boy, it'd be back in the 90s, but I, but I, I would like to find it again, where it said if one man can lift 100 pounds, another man can lift 100 pounds, you think then two can lift 200, but actually they can lift like 300. Like when they do it together, it's, it's like this verse says, for two can accomplish more than twice as much as one, more than twice as much, for the results can be much better. If one fails, the other pulls them up. But if a man, sorry, if one falls, the other pulls him up. But if a man falls when he's alone, he's in trouble. And if one standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer, three is even better for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. So number two, we're better together. Number three, the third rebuilding leadership principle we learned from Nehemiah chapter three is this. Focus on people who want to help with the mission not on those who want to detract from it. <clears throat> Nehemiah chapter 3. Let's read verses 3 to 5. The fish gate was built by the sons of Hassanah. They laid the beams, set up its doors, and installed its bolts and bars. Mirmoth, son of Uriah, and grandson of Hekos, repaired the next section of the wall. Beside them were, yeah, these guys... They had a grandson. But verse 5 is what I want to focus on. Next were the people from Tekoa. Though their leaders refused to work, were the construction supervisors. supervisors. We have seen in Nehemiah chapter 3, like people coming together. Leaders setting the example. People working next to others to accomplish this goal, this huge task in 52 days. But then we come to verse 5, and we learn there are some leaders in the town of Dekoa who did not want to help rebuild the section of Jeremiah's or Jerusalem's walls. Their leaders, I said, refused to work with the construction supervisors. And that's all that Nehemiah said. He didn't waste his time judging them. He didn't try to woo them back argue with them. And literally, in the original language there, is, is what it says is that they refused to submit to what the Lord was doing. It, it's a problem of submission. They, they could do it. They knew what had to be done. They knew how it would be done. They even knew who was involved, everybody. They knew the what, the how, and the who. But they would not join in. They would not submit and say, I will be part of this team. Now, maybe these men had excuses. Maybe in the past when they tried to rebuild and they didn't like what happened or didn't agree with every decision or uh, whatever the excuse, Nehemiah just not waste time judging them, which surprises me, which is good. He didn't chase after them. He didn't argue with them, try to convince them. Instead, Nehemiah moved forward focusing on those who wanted to help with the mission. And no doubt these who would not submit uh, they had to regret this decision later on because they stand in infamy as the only people mentioned in chapter 3 who did not join in the work, right? I mean, every one of those who helped, their names are mentioned in this best-selling 
most read book of all time, the Bible, but not them. And maybe Nehemiah was tempted. I think I will put her name so everybody will know who they are, but he doesn't by grace. He just vaguely says, these men, these leaders from this place wouldn't submit. And he goes on. In the same way, Jesus says this, and this is why it's important, important to us as well today. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do submit to the will of my Father in heaven will enter. And now, oh, I'm doing well for time. Good. And now the final rebuilding leadership principle for chapter 3, and it's a good one. Nehemiah shared ownership of the dream with others. So I'm going to go down to verse, let's go down to verse 28. I love this principle too. Chapter 3, verse 28. Above the horse gate, one of the other gates, the priests repaired the wall. Each repaired the section immediately across from his own home. Next, Zadok's son of Immer also rebuilt the walls across from his own house. Another key phrase we find in chapter 3 is this one, by his own house. First, we saw that repeating phrase next to him, which was key in, in the success. And now we find this phrase coming up over and over again, six times in that chapter, by his own house. And what Nehemiah did was he had the men work on the section of the wall that was by their house, where their families lived. And that's so smart because each worker had this invested personal interest in the work on the wall because their section of the wall protected their house and their family. So you think they want to do a good job? You think they had passion to make sure this part of the wall would not be the part that would fail and fall under attack? Because that's where my family lives. That's where I live. So we read, uh, and I'll just, I'll just list these up there on the screen, some of them. Jedediah repaired the walls beside his own house. Hashabiah built the wall in his own district. Each priest made repairs near his own house. Benjamin and Ezariah repaired the wall by their own homes. You get, you see that? They had ownership. They had personal interest in what was being done, and it would be done well. The word own here reminds us that Nehemiah employed the principle of shared ownership that increases your motivation when it matters to you. In this case, people were allowed to serve in the area that mattered to them. They did their best because they're building the section of the wall where their kids lived, where their spouses lived, where their family lived. I remember a story, it goes something like this. You would have heard this. This is a standard old pastor story from years ago. But it was about a father who was a builder and his son worked for him. His son was going to get married. But before he was married, the father asked him to build this house uh, for him at this, because they would put it on market and sell it. And the son went out as a contractor and with the build this house and he skipped corners. He, he, it looked good, but he did not do a very good job where he should have went, you know, this far was cold. He kind of went this far, never above, always the least or less than least. And though the house of the inn looked, you know, would have fooled you. It looked fine. Uh, it was not built that well. In fact, I think it was, um, I think it was new or somebody was telling me about that earthquake in Turkey that there were two buildings one was fell and the one beside was standing still. And this one was the engineering building. They built it to code to withstand earthquakes. Another 
houses fell because people just skipped, didn't do what they're supposed to do. Well, this, this house was built and it wasn't that, it looked good, but it was not built that strong. And then the father comes on his wedding day and says, son, I'm giving you this house you built as your gift, wedding gift. I think the son regretted what he had done, knowing that, not knowing at the time that he was building a house for himself and his family. And now he knows it's not that good. Each leader was given the responsibility to see that the wall by his house was secure and strong. And we have that responsibility as well. So what do we learn from Nehemiah chapter 3 today? Number one, it matters to the team when they know it matters to the leaders. Number two, that we're better together. When Nehemiah chapter 3, you're going to find over and over again next to him, next to them. People are working together. And all of them, you know, all are able to be available. We're all able to be available. And the perfume makers were not wall builders, but they were available. Priests aren't wall builders. I know this one isn't, but they were available. Number three, focus on people who want to help with the mission, not on those who want to detract from it. We're going to see the importance of this later on. So much so, it's one of my five, I think, leadership principles that I, that I take hold of. We're going to learn it's from the book of Nehemiah. And then finally, we just said Nehemiah shared ownership of the dream. Everybody was doing the work by their house. It mattered. They had personal interest in it. Four leadership principles for rebuilding. In your life, in our church, in your work. Lord, as we look at those today, I thank you. Because many people call this chapter uneventful. In fact, when I was looking at questions and looking at it, a lot of people just kind of skipped over it. And Lord, it has those principles that are so important. We kind of read and don't realize the importance of uh, leadership. But we don't see how important it is that we are have people next to us helping us and encouraging us like geese flying in a formation to help us, God. That we can do more together than we can by ourselves. And that we are available, God. All of us have that. All of us have that. The most gifted, the least gifted, we're available. And Father, we're grateful today that we have the ability to build, to be available, to work together, to work in areas where it would benefit um, not only others, but our own families, God. And I pray, Lord, that you would go with us today and help us remind these principles. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We make these messages available to give you a window into our church, but also an open gate for you to join in with our community. Our Sunday service is at 10 a.m., and we look forward to seeing you soon. And know that there is a place for you at The Gate. Please remember to visit thegatechurch.ca for more information about our church.